Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Issues, those things that 
kind of raise your nerves, things that we probably never paid attention to in years past that we're now paying attention to. And um, that, you know, this period that used to be, you know, so uh, pushed, I don't know if it's the power of social media, our ability to get information so quickly, um, the fact that we have all these channels who are, uh, are dealing with sports. we got specialization with the MLB and NFL channel and NBA channel. And so we have all these different avenues to, to get more in-depth kind of information. But this has just been a crazy couple of months, and then I'm looking up and the NFL is around the corner. And so um, it's always good to, to get on here, to get going with this stuff, and uh, I'm excited. Um, I'm excited because – you know, in this format, I get an opportunity, uh, and particularly when I'm able, like tonight, to have, you know, one of my co-hosts on the big show. And um, you can always catch us at realsportsguys.com, or you can get at realsportsguys um, on Twitter, or you can um, look for us at Real Sports Guys Media on uh, Facebook um, if you want to follow us and engage us. Uh, but, you know, on our big show, you know, we have I have my, my guys who I've been running with from, you know, the beginning, and it's always fun. But it's great to have a format where I can go in depth with them where, you know, um, it's kind of like, you know, um, you know, Phil Jackson used to do this with Pippen. You get the second unit, you, and you, you might put Phil in that second unit, maybe Coop coach, and they get to stretch a little bit in ways they can't do, you know, when Mike is on the court and they're all trying to figure out who's doing what. In this format – you know, we, we can we can stretch it out a little bit, and, and you can really see the uh, folks' skills go. So we're going to go tonight. We're going to go hard. I hope you enjoy the podcast and have a good time with us. And uh, I'd like to bring uh, to the air my, 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 my guy, my compadre, uh, the man that kind of keeps me straight. You know, y'all going to be watching uh, straight out of Compton, and, you know, he's kind of like our Dre. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds good, man. You know, sometimes I'm in like easy. Driving down the street in my six four, he's the one that's out. That sounds good, man. <laughs> that sounds good. That's the cat that looks up like that. That's 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 the cat we got on tonight that try to make sure we refine it and, and try to keep because you know between myself and Game Changer, we're tough group. We're tough group of guys to try to keep in line. And so, Phil, how you doing, man? Both teams play hard, my man. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. God bless and good night. What's up, man? It's uh, man, it's uh, it's it's just been a perfect storm, man. It's it's been a while since I've been on the RSG airways, you know, between summer vacation and just taking weeks off. And shout out to Justin Page for filling in a few weeks ago. I uh, you know, I, I told you in the green room, I got a lot to say. I got a lot to say. So uh, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to it, man. To to just to just start out, I got to give shout outs to two of my teams. Um, you know, I I I think it's been since early June since I've been on, um, mm-hmm. and you know, a lot has happened. But two particular runs have been close to my heart. First is the college baseball World Series. I'm a proud alumni, um, alumni of Missouri State University. Got a master's degree there. And um, their baseball team, I mean, their baseball program is solid, always. They have a coach, Mm -hmm. Coach Gutton. He's been there for 30-plus years. We interviewed him a couple years ago when they were in the NCAA tournament. 
Well, this year they got a national seed. In baseball, um, the top eight teams in the tournament get a national seed one through eight, and they happen to be eight. So out of the 32 or how many other teams made the tournament, they were one of the top eight seeds. And the nice thing about that is you open up and you get to host the opening regional double elimination at home. So they were able to host it at Springfield. They won that. Then the following weekend, they got Arkansas on a Razorbacks. It was the best two out of three. However, Missouri State, they share their home baseball field with the uh, the Springfield Cardinals, which are the St. Louis Cardinals, I think A-ball affiliate, and they were in town. So you play all year to get home court advantage or home mm. field advantage, and unfortunately they had to play, uh, you know, Springfield, Missouri, and Fayetteville, Arkansas is only an hour and 15 minutes away, but they had to play all three games there, and they lost. Uh, it went to three games, and they lost. Missouri State, they were one game away from going to the College Baseball World Series, and I watched every pitch that they played. I mean, they have two dominant pitchers. They have two uh, All-American pitchers. Both of them were drafted really early in the baseball draft. And this is a team that has a lot of rich history. I mean, Ryan Howard, um, former MVP with the Phillies, played there not too long ago, Um, and they, you know, every other year they have a guy drafting the first round or two, so... Just want to give a shout out. I I have my Missouri State shirt on, sitting on the couch, and I tell you what, man. I tell you what, man. The College Baseball World Series is on my bucket list. I I'd love to go there with my brother. We both grew, grew up playing baseball, and that would just be so nice to take in a few days there. Well, that 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 right there is a great shout. I mean, and you were you rocking the shirt. So you literally just talking about it. You doing it, looking down at the shirt like I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you. <laughs> you know, and when, man, you, when you watch that atmosphere, it's so crazy. You know, oh, yeah. it's, it's so crazy. It's out, it seems like it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's so crazy, and you look like everybody looks like they having fun. You know, it's like you don't even know. You know, and it always looks like oh, I love to be there at that at that. Event. It's something that you don't think about until it's up on you, right? It's not like you turn on TV like. I wish I was there. Um, it would yeah. be nice to be able yeah. to do something there because it looked like everybody's yeah. having a lot of fun. Texting back and forth with my uh, my thesis advisor, Dr. Fisher, um, who's the father of uh, Dougie Fisher, the boxing um, guy from Ring Magazine that's been on a few times. And, yeah. um, you know, like we were just into it, man, pitch by pitch. And he was at the game, at least that first weekend, and – you know, I mean, they have a beautiful ballpark. I'm not sure how many seats they have there. Maybe it's 5,000, maybe it's 10,000. I've been there a bunch. But that place was sold out, man. The city of Springfield came together, and, you know, everybody wanted to come out and support them that following round. And what happened, Devon, is everybody went to Arkansas. And you you could just see Pig Suey. <laughs> they started every inning. <laughs> You know, ooh, big suey. And it was sold out, man. It was standing room only in the outfield in Arkansas. And it was just sad that, uh, you know, Missouri State and the Springfield community missed out on hosting that super regional. That's what they call it. When you win the first weekend and you play the best two out of three out of another team who won their opening weekend. And, uh, again, Missouri State was supposed to have home field advantage, but they just, you know, there was 
it was a scheduling conflict. And, you know, the first couple of games, man, you, I'm watching on my Roku, on the ESPN app, and but the but the following weekend all the games were either on ESPN or ESPN two so it was uh it was really nice to watch man wow well I'm telling you right now he's warmed up and when we come back we're gonna put Phil T in the booth and you know when we get the cipher so you old school cats who watch Rap City and you you know you couldn't go <laughs> you, know, you could go you go to M, you can go to MTV and just hang out with Carson back in the day. But when you came into Rap City and you had to go into the booth, it was serious. You know, a lot of cats went in there and folded like wet noodles. But, but we got still. When we come back, you're going to the booth, and we're going to hit some stuff. We're going to wrap it. He might be a little out of breath when we come back. But when we come back in here, we're going to put him in the booth, and you know what happens when we go in the booth. So this is Real Sports Guys. This is One Mike. Thank you for being with us. We'll come back with my boy Phil T after this. You're listening to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, brought to you by Resistance Digital Solutions. LL Cool J is hard as hell. Battle anybody, I don't care, you I they gonna You're listening to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, brought to you by Resistance Digital Solutions. Bells. You can't go to the booth with Brought to you by Resistance man. Digital Solutions. Yes, yes. I couldn't wait. It was LLC. That set you up for the booth when you got LL. Because LL, that that you can play that right now. And that is still one of the best battle type raps you hear. He comes through your speaker. I can't even get over it. When you have a booth, 
all you young MCs, listen to that. How many years ago was that? It is still harder hitting than most stuff we hear today. That's why, and I couldn't. I, that's why I had to set it up for Phil T because that's how he comes. Y'all can already see him with the shark fin on his hat. You know, can't you know? You probably didn't wear the candle back in the day. I can already, but you come with that kind of cut, like cut creators. We don't even give love because we don't have we don't have DJ. We don't give love to DJ anymore. You know, we got we got producers. He was giving love. He was killing it. Then he said, "Cut." He gave love to the DJ. I love it. So now we go to the booth, y'all. And you know, in the booth we get hot, and it's hot. We gonna start at the summer league. There's something happening in this summer league. Like usually, as I said in my opening kind of uh, monologue, you listen to one mic with uh, real sports guys with D Wilson. I'm here with Phil P. And in my monologue. When I opened up, I talked about, like, this is usually dead period. You know, with some NFL news and everything else, but there's been so much stuff happening, and nothing more happening than the NBA. It's almost like for multiple off-seasons, we've had this NFL life, the best way we can describe it, ongoing dialogue even when there's no games. And this summer was just hot. And the crazy thing about it wasn't just about LeBron. It was about a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, it just – and – um, nothing was bigger than some of these conversations around people have, even talking about summer league, which was just like a, you know, a passing kind of thing that folks were just, you know, only real hardcore basketball people, you know, folks like game changers who's trying to analyze yeah. the power, yeah. power forward from, from East Tennessee State. And, he, you know, people like that. Phil and I might look at that. You know, you know game changers watching that. Um, yeah, Phil, we're going to start out with Summer League, man. When you think about just the energy in the offseason of the NBA, like what's been your impression about that? And obviously, you know, Becky Hammond has probably been part of this conversation as well. She's an added bud to this um, in terms of how they've talked about her. But that Summer League environment is different. Can you talk a little bit about how that might have shaped the NBA and, and even, you know, obviously with Becky, you know, what that's also meant? Yeah, yeah. I you know, I I have some reflections about the summer league before we even get to Becky. So my my middle nephew, Chris, he is a rising senior. He plays division three basketball at York College in Pennsylvania. And about two weeks ago, uh maybe a week and a half ago, he's texting me about summer league. And he's telling me that a few of his friends are getting together to watch Summer League. He's asking me, hey, what do you think about this player, that player? Did you see this dunk? Did you see that pass? And I'm saying to myself, just how you mentioned, Summer League used to be for the the coaches, the grinders, the the scouts. I mean, just the – I love basketball. I love NBA basketball. But my love of NBA basketball is tripled by the game changer. Marcus will (laughs) – I mean, break down tape. You know, I'll text him. I'll text him and be like, "Hey, man, what do you think about this player? He's a he's been in the D League for a couple of years, and how's he doing in summer league?" And Marcus will break down his game. We had that conversation with uh, Keith Appling. Uh, Keith yeah. Appling is, you know, the point guard at Michigan State. He's been gone from Michigan State for a year. This would be his second year. He played in the D League. And he played really well for one of the uh, Orlando Magic teams in the Summer League, and he's putting up 15, 20 points in two or three straight games. And I 
text Marcus like, hey, what do you think about Akron? Because he looks like he's ready. And Marcus has broken down uh, how far he's come and where he needs to go to have a chance to be on a roster this fall. And, that's and normally that's what Summer League was for. That's what it was for. And now, man, the NBA has done a great job on capitalizing from the momentum from the NBA Finals. And I think the thing that the NBA is really highlighting is the hunger. These guys have something to prove. I don't care if it's Carl Anthony Towns, the top guy who was just drafted, if it's Okafor because he felt like he should have been drafted earlier, or if it's the other 80% of the players who are truly fighting to get a chance to make an NBA roster, to get a contract, or at least to get an invitation for a camp in the fall. And, you know, to me, the thing that struck, that, that struck me, Devon, is it was, it, it's the same reason why I love or I originally fell in love with Hard Knocks, the Hard Knocks show on HBO where they follow right. an NBA or NFL team in camp, and you got guys that are just fighting. You know, when when the Cowboys did a few years ago or the Bengals did a few years ago, yeah, T.O. was the story, blah, blah, blah. But the thing that really drew me in was that fifth-round draft pick who doesn't know if he's going to make the team. Or the undrafted free agent, uh, John Connor, who was blowing people up with the Jets, and, man, this guy actually might make the team. Those are the stories that you really, really, for me, you know, the Danny Amendola stories, those are the stories that really, really drew me into hard knocks. And I got the similar type of feeling here for the NBA Summer League, man. Even guys who may not get an invite to camp, they're playing for opportunities overseas. You know, it there's just a a hunger out there that I that really really drew me to the summer league. Uh, Becky Hammond, uh, what a great story! And you know, I told you in the green room, uh, the green room, Devon, that uh, yeah, th- there have th- there have been aspects of this story that have really pissed me off, have mm. really really pissed me off. And she did a fantastic job. The Spurs made the Summer League championship, which, again, is another thing that the Summer League is doing. They have this tournament and championship, and the Spurs won, and she was the coach. So the next day, you know, last week, there's a lot of reflection in terms of is the NBA ready for a female head basketball coach. And it really angered me to hear some of the radio personalities and the TV personalities talking about reasons why it wouldn't work. Yeah. And they're given reasons, you know, such as, well, the players won't respect her. The players won't respond to her. The players aren't used to it. The play, And that rationale really frustrated me because if we look at similar things like, uh, you know, racism, civil rights, uh, gender yeah. rights, if, if we look at some of those things and if our strongest argument was, well, people aren't used to it. They won't adjust to it. Guess what? People will, and that's not a good enough reason. You know, it's not a good enough reason to say that that's why something wouldn't work. So, you know, I thought about Jackie Robinson, and I'm sure there were many, many players, teammates, coaches, fans, whoever, they didn't like it because they weren't used to it, and they had these, 
you know, prejudices and stereotypes and just things that we look back now 50 years later and say that's silly. But guess what? That was the thinking at the time. And so in 2015, when I'm listening to, you know, Ryan Rosillo on ESPN or I'm listening to other uh, personalities and I get why they're asking it because it's real, like it's a real question. You know, and this may be a real issue for some players and other fans, but at the end of the day, to me, it's not a good enough reason to shut down that idea. So I'm happy, you know, with, like what happened with Becky Hammond. I, I hope there is a day that there is a female coach because at the end of the day, I hope she's judged on her merit. And Popovich just won't have anybody on his roster. She has to earn her stripes. And from every report, that's exactly what she's done. And so I and hope and pray that she gets an opportunity. It, 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 I want to add to that. I think it's interesting because, you know, athletes, and this is why I don't buy it, and this is why I think why she's so successful. At that level, they know if you know what you're talking about. Right? It's like they quickly discern whether or not you know what you're talking about. And um, – Athletes have a, a selfishness around wanting to have success. And if they think you can help them be successful, they'll do yeah. it. doesn't have to be some facilitation and positioning for a level of readiness. I think that has to happen. I think even that happened with Jackie Robinson, either the choice of Jackie Robinson versus other prominent uh, uh, black baseball players had a lot to do about positioning. But – the fact that 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 that, that folks won't listen um, is 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 irrelevant when you look at this situation. There there are coaches right now who are coaching at a very high level who have have demonstrated records that they know what they're talking about. And so it's it's it, it, what's good about it is the NBA is pushing this. But you're right, you know, people take the easy way out in explaining why something won't happen. You know, it's just it's just yeah. one of those things. They take positions, positions on, and they don't want to take time to get a little bit more sophisticated, nuance around how could it happen, right? You, can you start with the position about how could it happen? But it's too hard for people to do it because sometimes intellectually it's too much work to do before you got a commercial break, right? And I think that's <laughs> part of the, the 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 issue because you're up against a commercial break, and and I think that you can't really nuance it the way you want to. And so I mean, they got so I spent a lot of time around locker room, blah blah blah. But there's a reason they listen. They, they listen to her. They listen to her enough to win a, the championship, right? If people say, "Well, people play at a different level and do this," but nah, nah, they figured out quickly when they saw her coaching. She can coach. People know who can coach and who can't. And so you're right. I think people take the easy way out of these things in ways that um, uh, uh, don't lead to the kind of change that can happen. So when you when you <laughs> so, did you watch the championship ceremony? I didn't get a chance to watch when they won it. Uh, it, it, it interviews with her because she's the kind of person who would not even engage in this. Like <laughs> she, she's a pop of this all the way. She's like just a fact. Have you heard any feedback from her at all in, in some of these things? Or no, I haven't had a chance to hear anything. No, I've I've uh, mostly been. I mean, I watched that championship game. I didn't watch the ceremony. And- I've mostly yeah. just been following about what's in print. Um, yeah. But from all accounts, she seems to be handling it just fine. You know, keeping the focus on the 
on the players as well as the franchise and understanding that it's a summer league championship. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so one of the things I've been hearing is Go ahead. One of the things I've been hearing is, you know, the players they've been playing for fifteen or twenty, thirty years, you know, throughout their whole you know, childhood, high school, college career, you know, they've never had a female coach. How do you think they'll react to that? So, NBA <laughs> players, yeah, it's just, it's a silly question. Professional sure, sure. athletes today, they are very, very PR and brand sensitive. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be the guy that, you know, says something, you know, disparaging about a woman coach. They, they're just not going to do that in 2015. And because they know that they'll be rightfully killed for that, <laughs> okay, and that it's wrong. And so I, I don't think that it's going to be as big of a jump as it may have been 20 years ago where you have beat writers that follow the team and they would keep that kind of stuff in-house. It was the good old boys network. Uh, not, not not today. Not today. Every story, mm-hmm. possible story is going to get out. And so I think that will also help to keep the NBA players in check. And at the end of the day, I think, most NBA players get it. They understand what's right, what's wrong. And you have veterans in most NBA locker rooms that will make sure that they get what's right and wrong. So to me, it's I, I get the significance of the story. I do. Um, but some of the supporting reasons why it wouldn't work have just really, really frustrated me, man, over the last week or two. <laughs> And it's interesting that even that last point you bring out, there's also a lot of players. Let's say there's like there's um, I'll just take football. There's a lot of let's say white players who have never had a black coach until they played for Lovey Smith, head coach, right? Does that mean they don't listen to Lovey Smith? Uh-huh. I think they went all the way up there there and never had a head coach who was black, and may not even had a position coach who was black, right? Athletes adjust to whatever. I mean, those same dynamics play out. So you, it's interesting where you said that they they went all the way through that stuff and never had it. But there's a whole bunch of other scenarios where you can look at it that they where they didn't have things that they adjusted to. And athletes adjust, and they adjust based on what you said. They also adjust on knowing that somebody knows who they're talking about. When you get to that level, you can tell pretty quickly whether or not somebody knows what they're talking about. It's it's, it's pretty quick for professional athletes to figure that out. Uh, you hitting it right on the head out the box. Man, along with that, free agency has been crazy, man. It's been crazy. And I just want to get your opinion. This is a high-level opinion. Um, and you may not even dug into this very much. But I like I can understand why folks are not going to L.A., you know, to the Lakers. Now, Lakers fans get mad at me, but I give you all the reasons why they ain't going to L.A. I understand why they're not going to New York. I can tell all the reasons. I can't understand what's happening with Dallas. 
Like, they've been in every <laughs> and, and Cuban, who is a Shark Tank master, gets bitten in a Shark Tank every time I turn around. Dirk is as good a teammate, from all accounts, good a superstar to be around, not afraid to share the shine that you can be around. Just in general, what's your observation of Dallas? I don't understand it, man. Like, they got all the money in the world, and they always end up with B and C-level free agents when there's A-level people out there. I tell you what, man, the summer of 2010, I know I feel like a broken record sometimes, but what LeBron James did in terms of leading that, that fine group of free agents, you know, Bosch, Stoudemire, Boozer, um, Wade, had, when they had that summit and they realized their power and they leveraged their power and they took time to figure out who they were going to meet with and they didn't sign right away, to me that was a shift in the NBA of players having more power and more um, flexibility on choosing who they want to team up with. And in just five years since, we've seen that for you to be legitimate, you either need to have LeBron James and or two or three other superstars to play with. And you're starting to see free agents not really even look at situations um, where if they're not with a loaded team or they're not going to put them over the top like LaMarcus Aldridge, they're not even going to consider a team like the Mavericks who, okay, they get DeAndre Jordan. They were a seven or eight seed this year. Um, where does Jordan put them? Five seed, a six seed? I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge, he's not looking at that situation, man. Okay, I play with Dirk. We can be a four seed. If, if that situation, I'll just stay in Portland. You know, what the what the Warriors did was unique. Very, very unique. But if you look at the last, you know, three or four years, you've seen the Miami Heat and also the Cavs dominate one conference by having this loaded roster type of approach. Man, the Mavericks, to me, Dirk and Kobe are the same. They're the same. Kobe has more of a personality. He has more of this, more of an ego, but they're over-the-heel stars that are still, you know, playing at an all-star level, but they're not going to carry a team to the championship. And you understand that if you're going to Dallas, it's Dirk's team. doesn't matter how unselfish he is. At the end of the day, it's his team. And even a guy like Burke, who is playing for probably half or even a third of what the market value he could be pulling in, you have to ask yourself, if I am Jordan, I consider going to the Mavs if somebody else was coming with me. That's the only situation. You've got to have a three-headed monster. And so then you bring in the Mark Cuban side of it. Mark Cuban... <laughs> I mean, Mark Cuban was hot 10 years ago when he was putting PS2s and PS3s in lockers and TVs in lockers, and he's doing private jets, and he, you know, is is doing all this stuff. He's got family suites. He's got child care during games. 
He's got all this innovative stuff, which was hot 10 years ago. Guess what? The other 90% of the league is doing that now. So he like 50 and came on a new album in, in 10 years, right? They still wait for it. Can't like you caught by somebody else. <laughs> That's what you're saying. He, he doing power and everything else, but they ain't come out no album, huh? Wow. Yeah. And and then Rick Carlisle, man. I mean, Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle is a solid coach, but he is a stubborn coach. And say what you want to say about Rondo, Jason Kidd has some issues with this guy. Um, you know. <laughs> Side note, Marcus always says he looks like Jim Carrey. He does. He does look like Jim Carrey. Uh, <laughs> 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 he does. He does look like Jim Carrey, the actor. Uh, you know, Rick Carlisle does not strike me as a guy who, I mean, Rick Carlisle seems like an old-school Larry Brown type of guy. I got a system. The system works. Um, and we're going to believe in the system. Period. I, I just, he, he he's not a splashy coach where he's going to also withdraw um, free agents to Dallas. I think the biggest draw to Dallas is Dallas, the city. And second of all, just just this mystique of playing, you know, for a Mark Cuban team, and maybe even a little bit Dirk. I think later on down the road, you you know, you kind of run into, oh, you know, they have a pretty solid coach. And Rick Carlisle won a championship with them, right? Was he the coach when they beat LeBron a couple of years ago? The Heat, the Heat. Yeah, yeah, he was a coach. Yeah, so he's not going anywhere until he decides to go. Um. I I don't know. To me, you know, growing up, we always saw teams who had great runs just fizzle out because the league caught up with them and their players got older. So, you you know, you talk about the Celtics in the 80s. You talk about the Pistons after they won their back-to-backs, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, teams just kind of fall apart, man, because they have this, this – this loyalty, and to me, this loyalty, like loyalty can go both ways. Loyalty can can help you endure and be resilient, but it can also blind you to holes that you have. Uh, Dirk is a seven-foot guy that can't really cover anybody. You have to play zone to cover him. That's right. I don't know how they won a championship. I don't know. And we, yeah, I won't even go there, but, yeah, <laughs> those are my issues. Those are my issues with Carlisle. Wow. And it's so and it's almost like as you describe it, they're they're like in purgatory because Dirk, because of the way he play and the way they play and the way Carlisle coaches, they'll never be bad enough because their best way out is actually 
having Dirk at this level and having one of those lottery picks, having one of those top three guys come and play with Dirk, right, give you a youngster that then a free agent will come and be part of that mix. But they're never bad enough to get in that mix, right? They, they almost have to draft somebody who surprises you to, to be able to do that, to then encourage because a dirt with a young star and then you might be enough to bring you in. You know what I'm saying? But they, they've been retooling with a lot of old guys, right? Think about it. Like when they lose on these free agents and they come back and get a B guy who's old and got like, you know, they get Vince Carter. You know, who can get you something, they can't get you something, right? They get a whole bunch of guys like that in the mix, so they never really get – Bad enough to to get it through the draft. I don't even know. I don't know how Cuban gonna get out of this one. Yeah. <laughs> unless you know, unless Darren can have a resurgence and find and he, you know, he's been he like a he like a great golfer who lost his swing. You know, just lost his swing. You know, I forget what that one cat was. It was a great golfer and then he just lost his swing. We never heard from him again. You know, it's like I'm like I don't know what's going on with him and so. You're right. He's kind of you, you hit these mixes, so you know their issue is is is, is too is is too crazy because all the pieces you need to win are all flawed. The owner, the stuff that was hot, the coach, the star, it's all got a little flaw to it enough to make a a good uh, uh, free agent yeah. go crooked out. You hitting it right <laughs> on, the, on the yeah. Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban is headed to being Jerry Jones. He is headed to being Jerry Jones because here's my prediction. Within the next five years, so we when we look at the post-2020 season in regards to the Mavericks, I say one of the two things have happened. Mark Cuban has either taken over the GM duties, a la Jerry Jones, or he sold the team. Because he's wow. had this team for the for the better part of twenty years. Yep. And and by all, all accounts he seems like a great owner to play for, but for him to be this visible, I don't see him as somebody that's gonna sit by and see his team not be competitive for a championship for another two or three years. And so I see him, you know, Jerry Jones, Jerry Jones wasn't always the GM, man. After Jerry got fed up with coaches and stopped winning championships, this cat wanted to go into the front office and be, you know, the GM. And I see Mark Cuban, man, following that potentially, either selling team or getting even more involved because he's so competitive, I don't think he'll allow his team to be average for another couple of years. Yes, and he's got to have some kind of succession plan because, you know, the dirt thing is out the window. So you're right. He's got to have a yeah. succession plan. But my whole thing is, like, he's, when you think about free agency, I mean, he's getting results that the Knicks and the Lakers are getting, but it didn't feel like, you know, he don't feel like that kind of organization. He don't feel like he's dysfunctional. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't feel like he's a dysfunctional yeah. guy. I mean, you, you point out some really good things, but, the one thing you wouldn't say about it is he's dysfunctional. Like, nothing's dysfunctional. It, it just ain't right. It's like the curl just, <laughs> the curl just ain't right. It just ain't right. 
that's, that's, that's just part of what it is. You, you can't put a finger on it, but I just started noticing, wow, man, they're not winning any of these free agent battles. And he's been, he been talking for like the past four or five years. He's like, we're revving up for 2013. We're revving up for 2014. And he keeps passing. He gets no hits. He gets bamboozled. And it's just like, wow, you know, probably going to get Chris Bosh. Can't do it. Ain't coming home. You know, it's just, he just is falling short. And then he ends up with these B-list, you know, kind of stars. And it was cool when Dirk was young and still could make up for some stuff. You know, but right now you can't get away with that. So it's crazy. The big thing that's been coming on with some of this stuff, you know, a lot of people have been making decisions and, we thought, you know, Game Changer and I have gone back and forth on this, this issue. Um, and a lot of people are having some of this stuff driven and some of their decisions and free agency driven by analytics. Um, and I heard one of the analysts, one of the Googles, I think the GM for um, the, the Rockets, um, talked a lot about, he's one of the analytics Google, but one thing he's really adamant about is the limitations of data. Uh, but you also have these folks, if you watch Moneyball and even in basketball, who are these qualitative people. You know, they can see it. They watch the walk. They can see, uh, in addition to the data, like when they uh, analyze a player, you know, they're looking at their competitors. They're looking at body language. They're looking at how, how they communicate on the floor. and They watch timeouts and just see how they lead the team, and that comes into their analysis in a different way. How have you seen how analytics has really shaped sports? And I, I know you're, you know, a researcher and you look at a lot of these issues. But how is how is that kind of played in your thinking? And what are the limitations? And where do you see that going? And how does how you see it affecting both positively and negatively? I believe the strongest analytics are tendency based. Um, you know, in baseball, at every ball or at every dugout, you will see a big folder that the managers will go to occasionally to look at, okay, what is historically, what has this player done against pitchers like the guy that's on the mound? And once we go beyond what the tendencies are to predict, uh, so, so analytics, in my opinion, are like have two key things, like in terms of how people use them. A, to find tendencies, Okay. And B, to predict outcomes. I think teams get in trouble in sports when you move away from using analytics to, to outline tendencies, tendencies of, you know, game tendencies or tendencies in terms of uh, what successful players look like, what are successful attributes personality-wise, physical-wise, uh, physical like what are the tendencies that we see in people that are successful? in this sport or at this position, at this size, whatever it is. I think that's okay. However, when teams take a step further and predict things, um, I think that's where data can really get you in trouble because, you know, you need that old guard, kind of like in Moneyball, that um, tells you, oh, the guy's got a good walk, he's got a solid jaw, uh, his girlfriend was a 10, um, <laughs> you know, you still need that guy, that scout, that approach, but you got to balance it out with the data and the information that you have. You can't go straight old school Moneyball, you know, guy, and use all this old school uh, non-scientific approaches 
but you can't go the other way either and have data not only show you the tendencies but also the predict outcomes. So for me, um, I I think teams are understanding that they have to weigh both. And, you know, for me, I take a look at a franchise like uh, the Patriots. Um, there's no doubt that Belichick uses analytics for his game plan, um, for uh, finding out situational stuff, what he should do. You know, I think about that fourth down that blew up with him um, back when he was playing against the Colts a couple years ago. However, Belichick, when he's recruiting players and, you know, looking at players to draft, we always hear about him picking up the phone and talking to college coaches. And, you know, he's bringing that relational side to it in addition to the analytics. I think that's the formula right there, man. Like you, like you have to use both and you have to understand the limitations of both. And I, I like that because part of it is in the game changer, I go back and forth and, you know, particularly when we talk about wind shares, and I, I mean, we had this conversation about oh, the and, and Zeke. Oh, I mean, and, and part of what I, I had to come back on, because as you talk about, you know, you have to contextualize it. Also, when people look at um, the analytic stuff, you know, and I spent some time, there's some great sites, but if you look at it, when they talk about, um, when you look at um, uh, uh, the real uh, methodology behind it, they'll, t- they'll tell you, um, you know, just how rigorous the data is. So you have a chance to just in plain and, and Phil can hit more of it. But just uh-huh. to give you a sense, they'll tell you how rigorous and, 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 and there's, there's, there's percentage of it. So you have to contextualize it. And the Pistons thing was great because um, Isaiah uh, uh, wind shares weren't as high, and what it doesn't contextualize a lot of times is is the role leadership and capacity building plays and sacrifice that plays to help build up and allow for other people to perform, right? And so we had to argue about, you know, you have to come at it and contextualize it. So I love your example of Belichick. You know, what I would say about good analytics gets you in the ballpark, but it's the qualitative and contextualized stuff that gets you closer to home plate, right? And so I love the way that you kind of described, um, you know, Belichick's methodology to to doing that kind of a assessment. And, you know, can you maybe talk a little about, because you use that, the role of contextualized, being able to contextualize something when you're looking at something. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know you do a lot of that. But how important is that? in getting people to understand how do we apply it here? Uh, I I don't know, man. Um, I mean, you brought up wind shares, the Z, man. The Z, I mean, I'm having that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you brought up wind shares, man. And, and, and part of me just wants to rip into Marcus about the whole wind shares. You know, we go back and forth. He says Kobe doesn't have any alpha championships and, you know, but that's not fair. My man's not on the phone to, uh, like, he's not lying, he's not in the booth to protect himself. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I wouldn't go there. So, so from a contextual standpoint, man, I mean, you just have to understand, 
you know, why things work. So the Spurs model, could that work in New York? Could that work in a in a in a in a less patient market? Maybe not. Probably not. So just because it's working in San Antonio doesn't mean that you could cut and paste everything in your franchise. You have to understand what the different variables are to make an educated decision because everything's a risk. Everything's a gamble. To me, it's it's all about understanding the context to try to reduce your risk. So, you know, you're in San Antonio and you've got a Tim Duncan, a very unselfish star. You've got Popovich, and he's got pros and cons of his personality and his approach. Uh, Popovich is also the GM. You know, sometimes I cringe when high-profile coaches who understand their leverage and are clearly the top one or two, three coaches on the market, and they can negotiate things to get at their new place. Doc Rivers, example. He's in Boston. The Clippers want him. The Clippers also give him um, the last say on personnel decisions, so he's also the GM. Um, I don't know how well that works in L.A., man. I don't know how well that works in, you know, to me, the Clippers were taking so many steps further, like so many steps in the right direction, getting away from the Elton Baylor years and getting away from questionable leadership and questionable management um, and questionable ownership. And then all of a sudden you bring Doc in and you say, okay, you don't have any experience in this, but we want you so bad. And you say this is a this is a deal breaker. Like you're not going to come here unless you get this authority. So we're going to give it to you. Wait a minute. Why do that? Yeah, it works yeah. in San Antonio, but what like what leads you to believe that it's going to work in with the Clippers and it's going to work with Doc Rivers? So to me, I think you just really have to to really understand why things work in certain situations to to better understand how they may or may not work out in your you know current context. And, and, and I love the way you describe that because the way you organize it in the context is important. You know, if you think about the Lakers when they were successful, they had the logo at GM and they had the high-profile coach. And when you have the high-profile coach handling the players and the media, <laughs> then the, 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 the great GM can manage the stuff behind the scenes. You can, you can, you can distribute the labor, Right in a way you don't necessarily have to do in San Antonio. When you got all these media obligations, you under this fishbowl, and you need more than just one person handling all that for you to be successful. Whereas, you know, you look at the, yeah. the media request in San Antonio, you know, and how you have to manage that market and and the idea, I think there's a small market strategy versus a big market strategy. I think the small market strategy is the strength is have a have a organizational philosophy, like you had in Utah, San Antonio, and some certain places, and know that if you come in and you get you a superstar who was in line with that, or two, as they were yeah. in Utah, and we run in that philosophy. And we just going to run it, and it's enough to keep us in the game, 
boom, versus, you know, you might have a bigger market strategy, but that take, the way you structure that is di- you, you, it's different. And Doc handling too much of that, you know, without having a GM who could do that and, and doing it in L.A., you're right. It spreads you. The pressures in L.A. and New York and Chicago are different along those things. You know, your need to respond is different. So your organization, the way you get at it might have to be different. I, I love the way you, un, you, un, you unpack that. You listen to the Real Sports Guys, one mic. This is D. Will Simon with Phil T. He is he is in the he's in the the booth in the cipher. We doing it old school, huh? I got a lot to we, say, man. We got we doing it old school style. You killing it. You've been doing so well. We are gonna give you just a few minutes to kind of catch your breath before we hit the home stretch on it because you just you just been. Doing your dang thing, so we'll give you a little bit of minutes here, and then we'll we'll come on we'll come on back. Resistance Digital Solutions. Are you tired of running to the boys in blue? Are you done with listening to sales staff trying to upsell you technology that you don't need? We've all been there. So, what did the real sports guys do? We contacted Resistance Digital Solutions for all our technology needs. They are not there to meet sales quotas or make profit margins. They simply just want to sell you what you need at a fair price. From iPads to PCs to flat screens, TVs, or intricate home theater systems, they customize every solution based on your needs. Check out their website at www.resistancedigital.com or email them at sales at for your custom technology solutions today. Right, right. You listen to the Real Sports Guys one mic, and it's been a good one. It's a good podcast. We've had my boy Phil T., you know, we have, we've had him in the bullpen. You know, he's been traveling around, and we dusting him off before we start to rev it up on the big show. And so he's stretching his legs right now. And, uh, you know, he's in the cypher. He's in the booth. You know, the old school 
you know, Rhapsody folks, y'all understand that, you know, this is this is not Carson Daly MTV. This is Rhapsody, you know, where you had to go in there with the tickets and you had to get your stuff right. Uh, if your stuff wasn't right, <laughs> you, was, you, you, could, you couldn't sit on the couch. Um, and this is kind of how we, we, we do it here. And just kind of let people go and flow a little bit. You know, we're not up against the commercial break. You know, we're not, we're not, we're not. You know, the producer ain't all in the studio. You know, we're not in all that. You know, we are about letting the folks breathe and do our thing. I'm here with my man Phil T tonight. He's just been, he's been on fire, man. You could tell he was stretching his legs, warming up. You know, if you want to hit this podcast and listen back at it. Check us out at realsportsguys.com. Uh, also, uh, you can click through and get to Blog Talk Radio and, and hit our podcast. Check, check us out on our iTunes as well. Um, you can catch any of our earlier podcasts. We've got some good stuff out there. Uh, but it's been good, man, to have you on here, man, doing your thing. And, you know, we talk about the habitual line stuff. You know, our guy, Roger Goodell. <laughs> And, you know, he's been reeling in recent years, but he's come up against somebody that is even a challenge for him. You know, good-looking kid. You know, both of us, you know, it should be Michigan against everybody. I got my man from KZU up from A-square. You know, you know this guy played for the Mason Blue, you know, and uh, we know him well. Tom Brady, you know, got the, got the million-dollar looks, got the model wife. You know, you know, from Cali, cool and calm, and now you know he got this what his four game suspension hanging over uh, his head, and uh, I know people have tried to step in, haven't had a chance to check in today on the updates on this. But the thing I want to talk about is, you know, when you have somebody like a Brady in this mix, how does it change the game? You know, you got you got Hardy who just got a reduced suspension. You got this deflate kind of thing going on. But you got this guy that is willing to fight to the mat and got kind of public. You know, he got some he got some draw. He he got the charm. He got the way to push through this in ways that cats before him didn't always have the ability to do. He's like the face of the NFL. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you how do you, how have you been seeing this and observing this? What, what is this? You know, how have you felt about when you kind of watched this process? Well, it's so so you have Swiss cheese, and Swiss Swiss cheese has a lot of holes in it, mm. and you're using this like you're using this the Swiss cheese. To try to hold something together, but your argument has so many holes in it that when you're the NFL and you got this absolute power that Goodell has to a certain degree, your argument can have these holes in it. Well, did Brady know? We don't know, but it seems like he knew, and you know we're only going to release so much in this report. And the report, you know, is is mostly anecdotal, but guess what? It's a report, and we got a big name in the report, and this guy used to work for the FBI and for the government, and so we're going to, like, let that report speak for itself. Okay. Well, the report has a lot of holes in it. 
And so if this thing gets pushed to an arbitrator, man, and the arbitrator has to use the sound judgment of the law to prove, you know, and the burden is on the accuser to prove guilt, Goodell has problems with that. And it's one thing, you know, it's, it's kind of like with your parents. You know, your parents tell you, don't do something, you ask why, because I told you so. You know what? In your parents' house, that works. <laughs> that works. I mean, that, that's that. Man, this stuff is not going to work in the court of law, man. And historically, Goodell has has had to go back. You know, his, his uh, discipline has been highly questioned and turned around a few times. So, to me, it comes back to Swiss cheese, man. He's got a lot of holes in his argument. And now he's got Tom Brady on the other side, you know. And, I mean, from a PR standpoint, that's a nightmare. Um, from a credibility and believability standpoint, you know, I mean, you have a certain following of Brady that wants to see him go down because they feel like he has too much. But I think if you're not a Patriot hater, you, like you want to see justice, and what I've heard so far, man, doesn't just just does not sound like it's gonna hold up. And Brady, to his credit, Brady not backing down. Brady's like, all right, okay, whatever, bring it. And guess what? If you even think about doing this, if you even think about giving me any games, this thing ain't over. This thing is not over. So it seems like there's a lot of back room conversations going on right now, and it's a lot of saving face. Um, I, I think that before the next collecting bargaining agreement, they're going to, they being the NFL, PA, and the NFL, they've got to figure out a better solution to what we've got right now. Well, Goodell makes a decision, and guess what? Goodell's assistant or Goodell is going to hear the appeal. What? Yeah. <laughs> Are you serious? You know, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're going to switch it up. Goodell's assistant, you know, VP or whoever, uh, Vincent, he's going to make the decision, and then Goodell can hear the appeal. Okay, um, that's the same thing, man. It really is. It really is. And it's interesting, I mean, and for people who don't know, I mean, this is stuff that you study. And so... Like, if you were making recommendations, <laughs> you know, somehow and you're the kind of person who would find yourself in these circles. You're hanging out, you end up, you sit next to you sit next to Roger. He finds out what you do. And you gave a recommendation organizationally. I mean, how would you, and I'm, I'm just hitting you off the cuff on this, but this is what we do in the booth. But how, how would you, yeah. what would you recommend, what would you recommend, given the trust issue, distrust, what would you recommend as a process that would get to the ends that he wants? I would say learn from the NBAs. Like, learn from your uh, siblings' mistakes. <laughs> I'm the youngest of four, and goodness, I learned from, I mean, I learned a lot from their mistakes when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> learn from what worked in NHL. Learn, look at the NBA. Ten years ago, the NBA tried to make these cats wear a dress code and do this and do that. And it was just too constraining, man. It was too constraining. One of the reasons we love the NBA is because they have different personalities. 
And with mm-hmm. the NFL, yes, yes, you needed to clean up the image. You needed to. But understand, Goodell, you, you know, Doug Collins, teams bring in Doug Collins to write the ship and to get them ready. But people also understand that Doug Collins probably is not going to be the guy to take you to the promised land. You need to bring That's in funny. a Phil Jackson. You need to bring in Larry Brown. You know, Goodell, understand that you, you had a charge to clean up the league, and you have. You have. So maybe now it's is time to back up, you know, from some of these. I mean, you can't. All right, so we, so we're in the booth, okay? We're in the cipher. So I'm um, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna pull out something I may not say on the big show. Uh, music, music, soul child. His very first album. He has a song <laughs> called. He has a song called Another Brother's Crimes or Another Cat's Crimes, something like that. Mm. It's pretty much saying, hey, I'm in a relationship with you right now. Don't hold me accountable and blame me for things that people have done to you in the past. You know, this is a, like mm. this is a new situation between me and you. So, you know, mm. let's focus on that. I feel that because the NFL has missed a lot of these things in terms of, you know, Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson and, you know, other things, that they may be overreacting to what their plan was. How they handled Dante Stallworth three or four years ago when Goodell first came in was great. You know, mm-hmm. even the strike, I think both sides came came out of it saving face. I think now they're putting too much control. Like, they're trying to exert too much control over these players, man, in the entire process. I just don't like it. And you hit a, I mean, you hit some interesting points on the head with, um, you know, learning from others. And um, I think at times he takes a molehill and makes a mountain because he's more, in, in, he's more concerned about holding his position. And then when and then when he realizes he's doing that, he overcompensates. Um, so it looks like he has no strategy from the beginning at all. And I think for the Ray Rice, and it was then um, uh, hit with um, you know some of the other incidents. And then you know you had uh, Peterson. You had I mean, and then the ball snowball just started rolling. And you're right. I think you need to take a step back. And I think one of the interesting things about it is. There's nothing about this that's good for the NFLPA. Like, there's none about it is good for them either. Some of the things you're talking about, and so, and, and and there's enough players who care about what you're talking about that you could also get them more involved. And so, I think you, you're right. I think that there's places where they can learn, and 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 I think part of it is he's so much thinking about control, he's forgetting the power of branding and the, of the players. You're losing the opportunity to brand some of this young talent you got, Bridgewater, and some of these young guys coming up, you know, Russell Wilson. Like, because you're caught into this, in this control thing, that you're missing the opportunity to push out this, in a way that the NBA has benefited from some of these new talented guys. You're not even, even able to switch and, and really build their brand, which can overcompensate some of this other negative stuff. And so, yeah, you're hitting it. It's almost like, do you have a skill set for what you're dealing with? And are you smart enough to get somebody around you who has that skill set to navigate some of these things? Uh, the NFL, Brady, you're right, Brady not backing down. You know, he got Hollywood behind him too. Man, yeah. 
And he got money. Freddie he like what? We say Tom is like, all right, what you want to do? How you want it? I mean, what's you know? Yeah, like we can do this. We can do this. I'm a sixth round draft choice. I wasn't supposed to be here. (laughs) So y'all never really wanted me. (laughs) Right. He's coming at. He's coming like that. We wanted this thing drags on. We wanted this thing drags on to the season. I guess it can't because because currently he has a four game suspension, correct? Yeah. And they're in the process of appealing it right now, and you know they heard his appeal, and now they're trying to figure out what it's going to be. And the appeal was like a week or two ago, right? So, yeah, I. So there comes a point where it's not the best press for the NFL to be having right now, but it's not the worst because it's keeping the NFL in the news. Well, guess what? Teams are going to be reporting to camps next week. Yes. This this story cannot be continuing through next week. Mm-hmm. So so I think we will see some movement on this, given how the NBA normally does things. I don't know if you remember the movie Office Space, D, where, yeah. <laughs> where, where, where the two consultants, the two Bobs, mm-hmm. they said yeah. – <laughs> You know, we like to let people go on a Friday, you know, late in the day so they can't really make a scene, and everybody has a few days to think about it. That's what the NFL does, man. They release stuff, you know, Friday at 4.15. <laughs> Trying to miss the news cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I'm going to say this. Before I let you drop the mic, because you, you've been doing your thing, man. This is reminding me tonight why I can't wait to get the band back together because, you know, it's about to wrap yeah. up. Um, so much is coming on. I know on our next podcast we'll we'll probably dive into the quarterback rankings. We'll start getting ready for our NFL. We'll be getting ready for the, uh, the fantasy football podcast. I know you'll be orchestrating, uh, getting us going forward on that. Uh, it's about to rev up. We're about to have that energy going. And so it was good to kind of let me just watch you stretch and do your thing uh, tonight. And you held your own in that booth. See, they, they know you grew, you grew up old school. You grew up knowing all about that. You knew what that meant. And you just kind of battled through it. I should have just dropped a beat underneath you and just let you just do it for two hours. But um, it's just good to have you here. Um and, um, you know, uh, I want to let you just drop the mic and do your thing um, as we close this thing out uh, tonight so that folks know when we put the three of us back in there, we're about to come for fire. Every year we're trying to push it, and we're about to rev it up again. And tonight, Phil T. reminds you of, you know, we're not just like those other folks. We, 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 we changing this thing. This is the Urban Sports Radio this is the this is the bringing the intersection between society and sports into this stuff. Um, we stretch and push some boundaries here and there, and we love it. And uh, tonight, my guy showed you, you know, why we do what we do. So I'm gonna give it to you, my guy. I'll let you drop the mic and take a few minutes to just do your thing. 
LeBron James is a top five player of all time. LeBron James is a top five player of all time. LeBron James is a top five player of all time. That's my position. What we saw in the postseason for LeBron in terms of him leading a team that was severely undermatched and to make this thing competitive and to win the Eastern Conference Finals and to take the NBA Finals a six game proves that LeBron James is one of the best players to ever put on a pair of sneakers. Hate LeBron if you want to. Hate some of the poor decisions that he's made in the past. But recognize what he's doing on both sides of the court. Bringing flexibility in terms of playing literally almost every position on the court. Right now, if you listed the top ten players at every position in the league, LeBron James will be on that list for point guards, for shooting guards, for small forwards, and for power forwards. What other player in the history of the game can you say that about? Go ahead. Mention one. Mention two other players. But I guess what? You won't mention four others to justify to not have put him in the top five. Talk about players who are a top five threat offensively and a top five threat defensively. How many of those that you can say has done that over a 10-year stretch? Not many more than LeBron James. I'll start and I'll end with LeBron James as a top five player of all time. And that's it, y'all. One mic. Real sports guys. We're doing it. Phil T just dropped the mic. Till next time. We'll see you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.